Hello and welcome to the PLUS podcast. To celebrate the International Year of Astronomy 2009, we've been asking you to tell us what questions you'd most like to have answered about the universe. In our most recent online poll, the most popular question was how does gravity work? We put it to Bangalore Satya Prakash, an expert in gravity and especially in gravitational waves at the University of Cardiff. Here's his answer. Okay, now if you take the very simple picture of uh, the so-called Newton's gravity, gravity works by exerting force between two objects. So if you have Earth and Sun, the gravity works because Earth feels a force that is exerted by the Sun and in turn Sun feels the same force exerted by the Earth. Now the force doesn't immediately tell you which moves and which one is going to be more or less stationary. It's really the acceleration. So in the case of Sun, it feels the same force as the Earth but then it's much much more massive and therefore the acceleration which is force divided by mass is very small for the Sun and for Earth it's far larger and therefore Earth goes around the Sun. So that's the picture that comes about in Newton's theory of gravity. But in this theory of gravity there are problems because what according to this theory the gravitational interaction travels at the at in instantaneously. There is right. no delay. Let me explain that a little bit more. Suppose sun were to vanish from the horizon today. You know, you wave a magic wand and sun is not there anymore. We wouldn't know that by looking at the sun immediately. And the reason why we wouldn't know this immediately just by looking is because light takes a certain amount of time to travel from the sun to the earth you will really know it only after several minutes. Whereas according to Newton's gravity, it would have vanished immediately yeah. and Earth will start flying apart in a tangential direction. So this is what is the consequence of, in uh, Newton's theory of gravity, gravitational interactions traveling instantaneously. So obviously this was a problem for Einstein's theory of gravity. Why? Uh, because Einstein, before he formulated his theory of gravity, had developed this special theory of relativity. According to this uh, special theory, no interaction can really travel at speeds greater than the speed of light. More precisely, you can't transmit information at speeds greater than the speed of light. But now I give you this analogy of uh, removing gravity due to sun, you can use that analogy to actually construct gravitational telegraphs to transmit information instantaneously. And so that that's would be enough. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that would be wrong. So that's the reason why Einstein had to reformulate mm -hmm. the theory of gravity. And how does gravity work according to Einstein? So in Einstein's theory of gravity, you don't really look upon uh, gravity as a force anymore. Rather, the concept is replaced by that of geometry. According to Einstein's theory of general relativity, massive objects like the sun curve the space around them, just like a bowling ball placed on a trampoline will curve the surface of the trampoline. This curvature of space, or more accurately of space-time, since the two are linked according to Einstein, 
means that less massive objects in the vicinity of massive ones no longer move along straight lines, but along curved trajectories, like the orbit of the Earth around the Sun. In the same way, uh, Earth goes around the Sun not because of any mysterious force, but because of this uh, uh, space being curved around the sun, and it simply follows the straightest possible path Within. around the sun. So an analogy that is often used is if you had a trampoline and you put a ball onto mm. it, that would curve the surface of the trampoline, and therefore then the straightest path on this trampoline wouldn't anymore be a straight line, but a kind of line that follows the curvature. That's correct, yeah. Mm -hmm. Normally I tend to also add a caution to this because people, people uh, take objection to this. The very reason why the trampoline is getting curved is because of gravity. So we have to really sort of somehow move out of the analogy and to try and picture that the full three-dimensional space and also time is curved. And it's really that which causes the orbits of planets to be curved rather than straight lines. So we're thinking of a space-time, because we have to add time into this, uh, thinking of a space-time that is inherently curved. Does the curvature change? Does it change over time? Yeah. So the curvature uh, is not a static quantity, and that's another thing that came out of Einstein's theory of gravity, that space and time are very dynamical. First of all, they are not flat, so they, are, they have curved property, but on top of that, you can change the curvature of space and time around you, uh, mainly because uh, things move around. They are not at the same place. Uh, we talk about the solar system, uh, even though sun is more or less stationary, that's the most dominant object. Curvature in the solar system is mainly because of the sun, a little bit due to uh, Jupiter. But since they move around ever so slightly, the curvature changes. So it's mass that curves space. That's correct. So it's really the mass that curves the space, mm -hmm. and, and the space and uh, the curvature of space tells the mass how to move around. This is a very famous uh, phrase that was coined by uh, John Archibald Wheeler in the USA, who said, mass tells space-time how to curve, and space-time tells mass how to move. So an intimate relationship there. A very intimate relationship, and the whole dynamics of the Einstein's equations, that is how they work, is actually encapsulated in this very famous phrase. This description of space-time as a dynamical system that is constantly flexing and bending due to massive objects moving around within it has an interesting consequence. It means that any event involving massive objects should send ripples through the very fabric of space-time. And these ripples are indeed predicted by Einstein's equations. Now, these ripples, first of all, let's understand when they are produced. Uh, as I said, in the case of solar system, it's not very important that the curvature is changing because it's really changing ever so slightly. But if you now imagine two black holes which are going around each other. Now, let's just pause for a second. A black hole is a place where the curvature has become so extreme that it's, in fact, mathematically speaking, infinite. That's correct. At the center of a black hole, mm -hmm. you really can't talk about physics anymore because the curvature has become very, very large. Due to the very large mass. Very large uh, density. density. Uh, mm -hmm. But on the surface of a black hole, there is nothing wrong. You know, you can go very, very close to your black hole without crossing the so-called horizon of a black hole and still be very, very safe. There's no problem. Okay. Now, near these objects, the curvature is extremely high. Let's now take not one black hole, but two black holes. And if these two black holes are going around each other, you can see the curvature is large, but you're also changing it. It's like taking a stick 
and moving it around in a pond, that's going to generate for you ripples which travel outward. So th they are water ripples, but now we are talking about ripples in the very fabric of space and time. So is it a bit as if you take a sheet um, of your bed and you shake it out and you have ripples Absolutely. crossing through Absolutely. the fabric? Absolutely. It's yeah. like that, mm. but the, the sheet now is the space-time itself. But space-time is very, very rigid. It's extremely hard to move the fabric of space-time. You, you need a lot of energy. So when black holes move around, they actually cause ripples, and these ripples are what are called gravitational waves. So gravitational waves are something that come directly as a direct consequence of Einstein's equations. Is that right? That's correct. So has ever, anyone ever detected any ripple at all yet? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, uh, in a very indirect way is what some people would like to say. For me, it is uh, a firm enough detection. And let me describe the system to you. It was a system. Uh, it was an astronomical system in the form of two very compact stars. These stars are so compact that most of it is made up of neutrons, and they are called neutron stars. They are the size of uh, about uh, London or so. You know, 10 kilometer in radius, but uh, their mass is the mass of sun. So right. extremely dense object. Just as in the previous example of black holes. Mm. These neutron stars are also very dense, and therefore the curvature around them is also extremely large. Not as large as near black holes, but still clearly quite large. Yeah. And by moving around these neutron stars, you will cause ripples in the fabric of space-time. But to cause those ripples, you need a lot of energy. This binary system of neutron stars was discovered in 1974 by Joseph Taylor and Russell Hulse. It turned out that one of the two stars was what is called a pulsar, it emits very regular radio signals that can be detected on Earth. Using those signals, Taylor and Hulse calculated that the two stars were spiraling towards each other. The only explanation for this was that their system must be losing energy in the form of gravitational waves. And indeed, the rate at which the two stars were moving towards each other matched the predictions of the theory. So that was the first piece of indirect evidence for the existence of gravitational waves. But currently, for people like Satya Prakash, the holy grail is to detect gravitational waves directly. But why? What makes these waves so important? The, the first motivation when this whole field began was really to confirm Einstein's theory of gravity. There are two main predictions that still remain not completely uh, verified. One is black holes. We do have indirect evidence for black holes, but nobody has direct detected black holes directly. The second is direct detection of gravitational waves. That is, instruments that we construct here on Earth which can actually feel the passing gravitational wave because there is some effect on the instrument. Now, both of these puzzles of Einstein's gravity can be actually verified by using gravitational wave detectors. Now, why? Because black holes, even though they are black, they're black electromagnetically, but they could be emitting gravitational waves under certain circumstances. The example of the black hole binary that I gave you is one of the best. When two black holes collide, very, for a very short time, the luminosity of the system will exceed that of the entire universe. Oh. Now, this is very phenomenal. Let me try and explain <laughs> this. What it means is, there is energy that is being emitted as two black holes go around. 
they come closer and closer, they keep rotating faster and faster, even reach almost the speed of light. But when they coalesce, the amount of gravitational waves that is emitted within a short duration produces such a great intensity of radiation that that intensity far exceeds all the stars of all the galaxies in the universe. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is what is uh, firmly predicted by Einstein's theory of gravity. So even though black holes are black in radio, light, and gamma rays, etc., they could be shining and, in fact, outshining the entire universe uh, because of some interactions. And that is the reason why there is this interest. So would it be true to say, maybe also in a kind of intuitive sense, that because the idea of gravitational waves is, is such an in intrinsically geometrical idea that detecting them would actually um, put more foundation to the idea that gravity is a matter of geometry. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that we might be able to do by observing gravitational waves is actually measure the structure of ge geometry around black holes in a way that will never be possible in any other experiment or observation. Uh, when small, you know, the universe consists of uh, very large black holes at the centers of almost ev any galaxy that we look at, right? So any, any galaxy, it, its core seem to contain a million or a billion solar mass black hole. Now, these black holes are not just sitting there idly. They are eating up other material and other black holes in, in their vicinity all the time. So every once in a while, when a small black hole in its vicinity falls into it, it takes a very complicated orbit around it and as it goes around, it is actually sampling the geometry of uh, the space-time. Right. And the signals, the gravitational wave signals that are emitted, actually encode the geometry. So by disentangling the gravitational waves that we see from such systems, we will be, we will be able to measure the structure of the geometry itself. If we had incredibly, if we had sensitive enough equipment to detect gravitational waves here now in this room, yeah. how would they manifest themselves? Okay, uh, now, just as uh, light interacts with uh, charged particles, uh, gravitational waves interact with uh, any particle, in fact, any mass. In fact, that's the trouble. They interact with uh, everything so uh, democratically that it's very difficult to uh, detect them. So you have to construct very sensitive instruments, and the instruments that currently exist are what are called uh, uh, laser interferometer gravitational wave detectors. The basically what it means is that we have to measure the tiny distortions in space-time that are caused by gravitational waves. They move masses around. So the masses in our case are mirrors in interferometric detectors. And when these mirrors move, we can actually uh, sense it by using interferometry. And that's the goal. So they really um, manifest themselves by causing motions in test mass mirrors in interferometer detectors. Mm -hmm. That's the way we aim to detect gravitational waves. Mm -hmm. And um, what's the current state? I mean, you, you have already talked about some evidence that we have for gravitational waves. Yes. What's the latest kind yeah. of the, move the, towards this? <laughs> so the current plan is to build, or rather, you know, there is already several gravitational wave de detectors that are being built, but there are plans to build other detectors. And the goal is to construct a global array of gravitational wave detectors which can see sources from almost anywhere in the universe. That's the ultimate goal in the field. And when, we're, when will we get that? Okay, now currently there are uh, four gravitational wave detectors that are operating. 
the, there are three instruments in the United States of America, uh, and there is one in uh, Europe. One more is being planned in, in Japan. It's called Large Cryogenic uh, Gravitational Wave Telescope. And these detectors uh, will are expected to make the first detections around 2014. In addition to these four detectors, there is also a smaller scale European detector called GEO600. Two very ambitious long-term projects are the Laser Interferometer Space Antenna, nicknamed LISA, due to launch around 2020, and the Einstein Telescope, which will be built around 2025 or 2030. Both will be sensitive to sources of gravitational waves that lay at the edge of the visible universe. One very exciting possibility is the detection of gravitational waves that have travelled towards us all the way from the Big Bang. Soon after the Big Bang, I'm talking about tiny fractions of seconds after the Big Bang, gravitational waves might have been produced and they are traveling to us unscathed without any corruption all the way up to the current, uh, uh, current time. By detecting them, we will be able to tell what were the conditions uh, at the very early universe. What are the chances that maybe there are no gravitational waves? What do you think the, the odds are that they will not be detected in the next, in the coming 20 years? Or so? I, I think the question may have to be asked in a different way. We know that gravitational waves are there because of this Hulse-Taylor binary pulsar. Okay, so that's evidence enough to know that they're Absolutely. there. Absolutely. That's a firm uh, enough evidence, and I don't think anybody, uh, any, anybody in their right minds <laughs> will, will doubt that particular uh, uh, discovery. Okay, but it might very well happen that the sources that we expect to see are, after all, not very common. You know, we, our detectors are currently sensitive to something like 30 million light years to look for these systems. But current predictions that are based on the Hulse-Taylor binary pulsar is that we will see tens of events within about 600, 700 million light years. And that is firmly in place. And that's what the advanced detectors are going to aim at. Do you think that gravitational waves can ever be used for something, for an application on Earth? I think uh, we are at a very premature stage <laughs> to talk about any applications. Okay. It's uh, uh, not impossible. It is currently implausible. You know, I can't see any way of using the technology for... Uh, communication and encoding and so on and so forth, but it is not impossible. I think uh, when uh, uh, Hertz conducted his first experiment generating radio waves and detecting them in the laboratory, he was of the same opinion that yeah. uh, you know, there will be no use for them, but who knows. And that's it for this episode of the PLUS podcast. You can read the article How Does Gravity Work on the PLUS website at plus.maths.org. My name is Marianne Freiberger, thanks for listening and bye bye.